Welcome to The End Game, a podcast about the positive aspects of aging with grace, with joy, and with purpose. I'm your host, Don Oxen. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get on with today's show. Here's another session of the Council of Elders. Uh, on our panel today are poet Charles Ramelkamp, life coach Kit Cassingham, uh, essayist Susie Kaufman filling in for Dorothy Kilgallen, and I'm John Daly. Uh, we are going to uh, talk about uh, whatever comes What's into your our line? heads. Yeah, that's that's my line. Um, we're going to talk about whatever comes into our heads, but we thought we'd start by uh, posing the question, is keeping up with current events uh, a hazard to your health? Um I'm going to start with Susie because she had some initial thoughts on this. So take it away. Thank you, Don. Um, I'm finding that it's really about the, the level of incoming that causes me difficulty, almost more than the, the particulars of the subject matter. I, I just can't. Uh, my system can't tolerate <clears throat> constant speech or constant um, print, constant noise. And I think that this has become more severe with age, where after a while, it's all just um, static and nothing really sorts itself out or has any particular meaning to me. So it has almost the opposite effect of uh, wanting to understand what's going on in the world. So that's kind of what I'm struggling with. And is that from particular media that that feel most uh, intrusive to you? Um, I would, I guess the screen is the, is the biggest problem. Um, I can, you know, I'm aware that I am now basically, you know, sort of streaming past and deleting the overriding number of emails that I get from political sources because I know that they won't, that I won't be able to digest them. I find that's true too. I get many, many, many emails that I just give up on. And also it seems to me like that there's this built-in uh, kind of suspense that's going on. I could hardly wait to get rid of Donald Trump, but now that Donald Trump's gone, there's still more and more. And, you know, the, the, I guess it's always going to be a peril the, the fascism and authoritarianism and, and but still it's like oh gosh it's there's never a climactic moment and I also almost want to just sort of check out and knowing that it'll be the same when I turn back in in say six months or whatever but then that feels irresponsible because we are citizens so uh, it's it's a quandary. You know one of the things I learn and, and talk to my clients about is that the difference between communication these days and even, um, I'm going to say 100 years ago just for contrast, but even 50 years ago is that 
back in the olden days, you know, we would get the newspaper either a morning or an evening. Some people could get both. And so it was an event and we'd sit and we'd read it. We'd get the mail with a magazine and letters and we'd have to a time to sit because it all came in at once and we would sit and read it. So we were organizing our intake of diverse input. Today, it just comes, as Susie said, it just bombards us. It's at us every second. Uh, we could entertain our eyes and ears 24-7. And that's not good for us. We need to go back to, I think, for our mental health and our maybe our heart health, to go back to consuming our media in one time slot, maybe two, but not make ourselves available to it all the time. Now, Don, when you suggested we talk media, I was thinking like the press, uh, TV, radio, and that stuff. But as soon as Susie just talked, I mean, even emails, that is media, isn't it? It, And and you're both right. It is a continuous barrage. Mm -hmm. Um, It doesn't help that there is profit in media getting people excited because that seems to get more eyes and more ears and and more expenditures. And that's Uh, always been the case. True. It has always been the case, but that was before we had 24 hours of constant excitement. Yeah. And bad news sells better than good news. Always has. (laughs) Yep. It always will. Let's make up some bad news so that people will keep buying my, my media. Yeah. And with, yeah, with regard to uh, the effect on one's health, I'm aware that taking in too much noise, you know, news noise, um, really feels very much like eating too much or drinking too much or, you know what I mean? Mm. It had, it, it has a, an addictive, um, you know, up to my eyebrows kind of quality. And I can feel it making me sick. Yeah. I, I think you're right, Susie. So are, what are you doing to limit your barrage of media? Well, I'm I'm actually uh, taking a very extreme position. I mean, I read the sort of headlines in the morning um, from the Times and from Huffington Post, whatever, and and uh, and then that's about it. I don't I don't read the messages that are addressed to me personally that are designed to get me upset. I see no reason for that. I have had the don't consume news attitude for 30 years because it's generally Mm. bad news. Um, People will fill me in on what I need to know. If if the day's been canceled, somebody will tell me. Um, And so I I don't now, Susie, I'm not as good as you. I don't, I still don't consume news, but um, I strive to only see what friends and family say on the various social medias. And I do too much of that, but it's better than if I also consumed news. I uh, I can't go quite that far, Kit, because I, I grew up as a newspaper man. So <laughs> I have this 
I have this incurable habit of wanting to see the headlines every morning. Well, it is and, and see what's going it on. It is curable, Don. You just don't have you don't feel the need to. <laughs> All right. Well, maybe I'm sick and I want to be, but there you have it. Uh, I have to look at those headlines just like Susie. And and then um, I I have a really fast hand on the delete button in the in the in the uh, email. Um, but I also spend too much time just, you know, cruising through Facebook or cruising through Twitter and it's it's good for seeing what people are outraged about. It's not good for me, um, and unlike Susie, I don't feel it as a um, as a fullness. I feel it more as a nervous thing, like it's exciting my nerve system, mm-hmm. and it's it's making me jittery, and it's rising bile, and I'm getting angry, and I'm getting tense, and I want to go knock somebody's head off, and. Fortunately, there are no heads nearby to knock, <laughs> but uh, it's it can't be good for me. Well, and it is constant. It's not dissimilar. Those physical reactions you describe aren't dissimilar to eating too much sugar. Um, I had a sugar binge a couple of days ago, and my heart rate and my body temperature were up, and my I even well, and my breathing was faster, um, and and I, I could feel it and my aura ring confirmed it in the morning indeed so that's not different from what you experienced by reading too much news or headlines getting engaged sorry Susan. when you when you when you describe uh how you feel don and you know how it makes you uh nervous and and makes you you know want to act out and fills you with outrage and so on the first thing i thought of was yeah but you are sort of a a basically grounded uh educated person well let me just say that who who has i'm not but i play one on tv (laughs) you okay you've you've convinced me that you are um you have the capacity to take a certain amount of this incoming and and not let it um, so dysregulate you that you go out and quite literally shoot somebody, which which is what some other people do f- to some extent for the same reason, because they they are bombarded and they can't process all of that noise. Hmm. Would a younger Don go out and shoot? <laughs> I mean, no, is it because the, we're even the young, even the younger Don didn't wife. own a gun, but uh, but I I have thought yeah. about punching a few people. That's mm-hmm. yeah, I know. I I see these things. This like Lauren <laughs> Bobert and her, well, you know, these personalities that just sort of excite you and you want to and you sort of wish horrible things on them, which itself True. is not a cool thing to be doing to wishing brings bad juju on us to have bad wishes for others that's right so we we do the blessing from fiddler uh may Mm. the lord bless and keep them far away from us you know don i think i need to print that out and keep it or post it around the house (laughs) love the song or the you know the the whole concept It's interesting that, Charles, you used the word personalities because 
for me, there's a certain sense in which all of these people, even even on the quote good unquote side, are really just celebrities. That's how the, that's how yeah. we are given to receive them. So you know, you have the the AOC celebrity. You have the you know you have the uh, I don't know the 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 right wing celebrities and the left wing celebrities and you don't there's very little room at least for me in all of that for anything resembling a um a, a discussion of subject matter the the discussion of subject matter the analysis of subject matter has been crowded out uh, by personalities that are really not that different from television stars or or uh, sports figures, in my opinion. Yeah, it's like uh, the movie Mean Girls. First of all, Lauren Boebert says something terrible about Ilhan Omar. Then the uh, Republican woman from South Carolina jumps in and says, no, let's not get into this. And then another personality jumps in and says, yeah, well, you're the trash. See I just, what I missed by insane. not consuming the news. I, That's right. I, because I'm from Colorado, I know Lauren, Lauren Bobert's name, but I don't watch her on TV or the radio or anything. And my life is well, am, more peaceful. I gotta say. Yeah, I'm sure that's true. Um, but I think I think the point about the personalities is absolutely correct. I think it's it's mostly a show, and and while. Yeah, it has always been somewhat of that. I think that it has just become totally exaggerated, and and as Susie says, it's crowded out everything that resembles uh, policy or fact or, or conversation. You know, what's best or conversation? Yeah, it's it's gotten bad enough. I have a friend who, when I came to, to dinner one night, I just been hearing that Biden. They were saying impeach Biden, impeach Biden, and I walked in the house and I said, so what did he do to deserve that rant or that mantra? And all of a sudden she put her hand in my face. I mean, it wasn't even six inches away and said, we don't discuss this. How can I learn? Now she was out of town the other day and her husband came over and we had a wonderful talk, very different perspectives, but it was a conversation. And that was good. So, Susie, I think you're right. Conversations are important and missing. Kit, did the uh, conversation involve politics or? or yes. Um, he never he explained. He never explained what Biden had done. I actually, he said Biden didn't do anything. But it was poli- uh, politics. It was sexual preference. It was organic foods. It was all kinds of topics. And I know politics aren't to be discussed, but that's important. We should be able to discuss politics in a civilized society. Which puts us back to our dilemma. We want to keep up. I mean, we want to be a part of society, and yet it's a lot of static and a lot of noise. So how do we, do we still owe it to somebody to to try to make the world better and to try to keep up with, with what's going on. You say though, that as if they're mutually inclusive, you have to listen to make the world a better place. And, and I don't know if that's how you meant it, but that's how I heard it. 
And my answer is, I don't have to know what's going on for me to just feel like, like I'm a little light bulb or a little fountain. I'm just always emitting love and kindness and know that that will be like the pebble in the pond and just echo out and about. Well, that's lovely. I like that. But um, I don't see it for myself. I feel like I, in some way I have to be plugged in at least, you know, if I'm going to be a participant in the business, let's say climate change, for example, if I'm going to participate in trying to make the world better than that, I need to know, you know, what's going on in that field and what, what I can do. Um, all right. Just to be a devil's advocate, why do you have to know what's going on to make, to do your part, to make it better? Well, um, if I'm recycling, is it actually going to be going anywhere? I'd like to keep up on the news of that. Is is my recycling making a difference? Uh, is it important for me to switch to laundry detergent that laundry detergent that doesn't come in a plastic container? Um, things like that. I mean, the facts change from time to time as as people discover new things or as situations change. So. So don't you, don't you go to uh, an education resource to do that research rather than to the news? Because you can see on any one day, recycling's a waste of energy and time. Recycling's vital. So the news, I don't think, helps you understand your question. But if you go to quote the encyclopedia, um, whether that's Wikipedia, Google, or whoever, and choose educational resources won't you get a better answer to your question? I like that as an answer. Mm -hmm. I find that, that uh, in, in keeping with my sense that I'm being inundated by, you know, bits and pieces of information that don't hang together in a very coherent way and that mostly involve people screaming at each other, that I do better when I when I sort of metaphorically step back and try to get a uh, a bigger picture of things. So so and I'm partial to books mm. as opposed to other forms of media. So I recently read Richard Power's book Bewilderment, which made an enormous impression on me and absolutely broke my heart. Uh, in, on the subject of climate, and and when I finished that, um, I felt so kind of, um, you know, it it had such an effect on me that I wanted to go on to something else, and so I'm now currently reading a book called Warmth by a young, very young fellow. He's 31 years old. Called uh, his name is Daniel Sherrill. And he is a climate activist, so he so it's not a novel the way Power's book is, but both of those books um, raised my level of awareness not not from a fact base, but but from an emotion an emotional spiritual level of awareness about just how serious this crisis is. So I, I felt that was worth, very worthwhile. And they're both climate 
books on climate? One a novel, one a well, yeah, Richard Richard Powers' book um, is yeah, it's hard to describe. It it really puts you in the space of understanding how rapidly uh, the the environment is changing. And um, is he the same guy who wrote the overstory? He wrote the overstory, right? And but bewilderment is uh, much shorter. The overstory, I thought, was a great book, but it was, uh, you know, really lumbering. It was. It, it took a long time to to get through it. This yeah. this book is very, you know, pithy and really worthwhile. And the, and the second book, which is not as you know, a professional, not as, as I say, as a very young fellow who wrote the book, but it, it's, uh, the subtitle is something like coming of age in the end of our world. And he writes about, about, um, you know, how, how just the relationship between a young person and the future uh, has been forever changed by how we have by the by the degradation of the environment that we have bequeathed to them, and that's very really very poignant. Well, I do like that idea, Susie, that that you step back and get a an overview, uh, and books are certainly one way. I used to count on the occasional New York Times review or news of the week section to find those kind of perspective pieces. Um, but, but there are others. Mm-hmm. And, and I think some of the sources out there on the, on the internet are also, uh, some of them are good for this kind of thing. You have to be choosy, of course. And that's the hard part. How do you choose? I, mean, I thought NPR was kind of a middle of the road, let's talk about things sort of radio station. And I'm fi- I've am i had conservatives tell me that uh, it clearly is not middle of the road. So, <laughs> oh, well, I only listen to it when I'm driving, but go ahead. I think, I think the conservatives don't see it as middle of the road because they've moved the road, but that's another story. Oh, yes, yes. But uh, don't you don't you sometimes just want to say, uh, I don't know, this come, sometimes I want to know, like I said before, and sometimes I just want to say, uh, forget about it. You know, I'll let my kids worry about it. Uh, I'm just going to go do my thing. And, and in some ways, that's kind of, uh, I don't mean this in a negative, but that's kind of where you are, Kit. You know, you're going to do your thing and the world's going to go on and do its thing. And the two may, may meet. Well, Don, though, I'll say coming, my degree is in environmental conservation. So I have a passion for it. And I believe, I mean, I don't know if there's more CO2 in the air today than there was a million years ago or a hundred years ago. But I have my beliefs about the environment that haven't changed in the 40 years, 40 plus years since I got my degree. Um, so I, I am careful and I urge others to be careful, to recycle, to use fewer, less fossil fuels, 
um, to not use scented products, that there's a pollutant that doesn't even get much attention. I happen to be mm. one of the canaries, so I'm uber sensitive to it. But I have people just kind of poo-poo me and go on their way. So it's not that I stay ignorant. I just am selective about where I go to universities and scientific publications to get my information. I go to it. I don't have it come to me as part of it. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. I We take uh, three newspapers digitally on Times, New York, Washington Post, and the Baltimore Sun. Baltimore Sun, basically for local consumption. I guess the Times and the Post are sort of more national. Um, I don't read them. My wife reads them more uh, diligently than I do, I think. Um, or more thoroughly, um, but uh, I, I think I I'm kind of I'm like Don here. I, I really want that source of information coming to me just to have it. So some days I don't look at it at all, but uh, most days I, I want to get a gauge of where where the world out there is according to um, according to the media. So I wanted to comment on on what you said, Kit about uh, going to the source. Um, and I think that's a great idea. What, what concerns me is that now we're in a space where a great many people don't believe in science. So, so, what, the, so what the scientists, I mean, really a lot of people, what the scientists have to say uh, no longer constitutes the, you know, the, the received truth. Everybody makes up their own truth. And, uh, you know, it's a dangerous state of affairs, to say the least. Right. But and in some ways, I mean, I roll my eyes, the non-believers, you know, the flat earthers, etc. That doesn't affect my education for me. Mm-hmm. It, it, I feel like it. I mean, invariably, I pick up that people mm-hmm. are anti-vax, anti-mask. I have friends who share their beliefs with me. So I do get the opposite perspective, and then I go research it. Like, that ivermectin will cure you of your COVID. I'm going, all right, I have a science background. That doesn't make sense to me. I go research it. I have a a PhD um, cancer researcher across the road. She used to work at Oak Ridge Labs, our lab. And I went to her and said, okay, explain to me. Because I do understand that sometimes if you're taking – medicine A, it'll help uh, disease D. And so I go, all right, so is this one of those cases? And she goes, I can't for the life of me figure out the connection. So that's an example, Susie, of how I go look for answers. Sure. And I don't believe that Bill Gates is out to get me. Um, I don't think he could coordinate the vaccines well enough to get all the proper tracking devices (laughs) into that device. However, my cell phone does a marvelous job of tracking me. <laughs> and I carry it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's true. Yeah. So, uh, so what are we to do? Um, ignore incoming, go outgoing, be very selective about what we let into our lives discern what what you're reading and what's you know what's going to be bs and what's reliable and that's the sources 
boy, I know somebody who, who refuses to take uh, vaccines, and she says because she's done her research. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what that means. <laughs> but I think it's not the research I did. Yeah, there's there's a great cartoon I keep seeing on the internet in which the husband is at his computer and he says, look, honey, I've just discovered something that all the scientists have not noticed before on the when internet. When I was studying to become an EMT, right. yeah. part of huh? what I had to do is go work in the um, emergency room. And one of the nurses came out of a patient's room just with her back to the patient, rolling her eyes and and clenching her hands in a tight fist. And I said, can I do something to help you? She goes, yes. Dr. Google was helping this woman. She wants me to do four sets of blood pressures on her husband's leg, starting at the ankle and working her way up. And I go, oh, they're neighbors of mine. I've done a call on him. I'll go help. So I went into the room and kind of batted my eyes like a brand new, you know, you know, EMT. And I said, I'm really new at this. And I've never done blood pressures on the leg before. But I'd be glad to try. And, of course, her husband's only in a gown. And I'm thinking, <laughs> she doesn't want me up at his thigh. Didn't know it. And so I offered. And I started toward it. She goes, oh, no, that's okay. One on his arm sufficient. So she, I mean, she may be right there. There is such a thing as differing blood pressures. The ones closest to the core of the body are the most accurate. But I still want a pedal pulse to make sure blood's getting to the toes or the foot. But that's not where I'm going to get the, my best necessarily information. So that's an example of doing research and making it fit your situation. <laughs> yeah. Right. Conforming to your existing beliefs. Well, I, I think we have a we have a problem worldwide, which is not only that science is being thrown into mm. doubt, but mm. all authority is being thrown into doubt. And and it doesn't bode well. And that's what I want to say, shall I forget about it and leave this problem to my kids? Or do I try to do something to make it better and get myself involved and raise my blood pressure. And <laughs> I haven't decided that no. one. Has anybody else figured it out? It did occur to me as you were speaking that it's interesting that while on the one hand, all authority is being questioned on the other hand, authoritarian individuals are rising to the top yeah. all over the world. Mm. Yeah, because people want somebody to tell them what to do kind of thing. Yeah. 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 And, and they offer easy answers. Right. So it's just, it's a certain kind of authority, uh, you know, sort of um, thoughtful, science-based and so on that's being questioned. But authoritarianism is not being questioned where we would hope it would be. Great insight. And and that puts us in an even, you know, uh, worse bind because, you know, I don't want to think that I'm sitting around watching these hooligans, you know, kind of 
goose step in and take over everywhere, not just in this country, but everywhere. So it's scary. Well, and, and Don, in answer to your question, one, I'll urge you to find ways of taking in news and controlling your blood pressure. And two, no, don't give up. Teach your kids how to think, how to do their own research and filter through reality and dreams and threats and promises. Teaching people to think, now maybe that's the problem. We have lost, the society has for the most part lost the ability to think, to do their own evaluation. Yeah. I just wonder, does age have something to do in, with this? Because I, I remember when my mother uh, was in her 90s and she didn't see any point in recycling <laughs> because, uh, you know, it was kind of a newfangled thing to her because in her in her generation, there was just this rampant consumption and tossing things out. And then as as the crisis became apparent to everybody else, I think she sort of checked out of that. Uh, here we are, you know, around hovering, all of us hovering, hovering around 70. Um, I don't know if it affects my thinking or not. I, I certainly do want a better world for, you know, the, my children, but... Charles, I don't know that age has so much to do with it. I'm going to guess that your mother was exposed to a different way of living. Um, I know yeah. that my grandmother, all of my grandparents, and um, the Gaguses who lived across the street were products of the Depression. They saved and reused so much. They, they composted. They did a lot of their own gardening. Uh, Grammy picked her own fruit and uh, stuff from her backyard. She didn't garden, but she, I mean, she had bushes and trees. So I think it's a, it's a matter of what you grew up with and were exposed to. And what they call recycling, what we call recycling is not what they called, called it in the early 1900s. Called it being frugal or something. I will say though that uh, I can remember vividly a certain point at which my mother refused to go to any movies that would be upsetting, you know. And I, I sort of understand that, you know. I don't, I don't, I don't want to be um, pulled hither and yon by uh by somebody who's who doesn't have my best interests at heart and she, i know she felt that way as she got older that she could only take too much uh distress and i i don't think that that's an unusual response as people age and it may not be I you know when I was younger I thought it was terrible you know that she she was so close-minded and and wouldn't listen to uh you know problematic subject matter but now I kind of get it. Susie could you expound on what you mean by what what kinds of movies distressed her what is problematic subject? For me or for my mother? Both. You mean both? Um, well, I might not want to see something that was extremely violent, and I'm sure she wouldn't either. Um, 
I can't be too specific, but I can, I just remember her wanting when, when she was looking at something on the big screen or the small screen at home, that it should be, um, more leaning in the direction of comfort and less in the direction of, of distress. Because as you get older, uh, you have, I think, a intuitive sense that you have to, um, you know, care for yourself on a variety of levels, on the level of all different ways that you that you take um, in information in or that you take food in or that you take pollution in that your system will not uh allow for uh too much that will upset you and i sort of get that i'm surprised that i get it because surely when i was younger i didn't feel that way at all well i quit quit watching the news when i was mid-30s because it was too distressing. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't mind. I don't mind seeing the poverty and the crimes, etc., around the world. I don't like gratuitous violence. Right, Don. You, I was interrupted. You, Susie. My mother was the same. Um, she started younger with ruling out what she could look at. But uh, by the time she was 40, the only kind of movie she would consider was a musical comedy. Yeah. Everything else was out <laughs> of the picture. Uh, I remember suggesting to her that she go see The Graduate. And she said, Ugh, I don't see <laughs> movies about things like that. <laughs> so um, I, think, I think it was a good self-protection. And and I do like Susie. I sort of I'm coming around to seeing there's some some wisdom in that. Abby and I are working our way through the wire just because it's sort of Baltimore, but it's it's very violent and depressing. But I like <laughs> the I'm into the characters. Yeah, I don't do zombies. You you also you can also tell on the other extreme that if you're in a kind of a dark mood and you just feel crabby and miserable, if you could watch singing in the rain, all would be well, you know? So that my all time favorite movie is some like it hot Billy Wilder. Oh, absolutely. I could watch that every day interspersed with singing in the rain. Yeah. Yeah. Though I have a friend who's depressed who would vomit (laughs) and maybe slit his throat if he had to watch singing in the rain. He he doesn't want to be happy, so he doesn't want that. So, but you know, this Mm -hmm. avoidance of violence and and those the topics we just touched on, maybe that's another form of being a canary. That violence can be very disturbing to our our systems, so avoiding it is a good self protection. So if you're sensitive to that kind of thing, it makes sense to as to step back from it. Instead of thinking, I'll get used to it if I just watch one more, that might not be good for you. This has been a very interesting discussion, and we've touched on some big issues, and we haven't found any big answers, and that's not hardly surprising. So I guess we'll just have to come back and tackle those issues in a future session. 
My thanks to our panelists today on the Council of Elders, Charles Ramblecamp, Susie Kaufman, and Kit Cassingham. And I'm Don Auction, and we'll be back with you again in 2022. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to our podcast. You can also subscribe to our free weekly newsletter, The End Game, at theendgame.substack.com. I'm Don Auction, wishing you all the best in aging with grace, with joy, and with purpose. I hope you'll join us for future programs here at The End Game.